today. 80% of businesses don't sell. To be a part of the 20% that do, and at maximum value, you'll need a successful strategy. Welcome to the Defenders of Business Value podcast, where we interview today's top professional advisors who help business owners create, preserve, and most importantly, transfer value. If you want actionable tips that will increase your business value, stay tuned. The podcast starts now with your host, Ed Mysogland. Have you ever wondered whether a coach is right for you? So I've been coached athletically, you know, different types of coaches throughout my career. And, you know, there's good coaches and there's bad coaches. And I've had the personal experience with John Neuenberg of W5 Coaching out of Canada. And truly, he is the real deal. So we talked a lot about how business owners can increase their value, how they can work with a coach, and how they can, most importantly, determine whether or not a coach is right for them. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with John Neuenberg. I'm your host, Ed Meisigland. I teach business owners how to build value and identify and remove risks in their business so that one day they can sell their business at maximum value when they want, how they want, and to whom they want. On today's show, I am beyond excited to welcome John Neuenberg of W5 Coaching. John is an award-winning business coach who has worked with hundreds of clients. John coaches in three primary areas, business, personal growth, and accountability. In an earlier life, John was president of BC Liquor Stores that today does about $3 billion in revenue and about $1 billion in profit. Before that, John was an executive with a national menswear retailer. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here today. Well, I gave a high overview of you and W5 Coaching. Can you please share a little bit more about you and the three areas of coaching that uh, you certainly are so well known for? Yeah, I've been a business coach for 15 years. Um, I'm often asked, how long have I been a business coach? And the other answer, which is also true as all of my life, um, I, when I first started coaching in about 2004, I had a middle of the night kind of epiphany and a moment of, uh, of perfect clarity where I was able to recognize that I've always been a coach. Uh, it might have been called different things at different parts of my life, but in fact, that's been my style. It's I think it was Steve Jobs who said, you, you, you can uh, connect the dots going backwards. And my epiphany was uh, connecting some dots going back to, uh, you know, my childhood to um, present day. Uh, so I'm hardwired to be a coach. What, what is a coach? Define a coach for me. If you think about, uh, there's a couple of ways that I can think about it. But uh, one of the ways to think about it is if you uh, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach him how to fish you feed them for a lifetime. So as a coach, I'm in the teaching, not the giving business, which is one of the, you know, distinctions between a consultant who, you know, comes in and does the work. Whereas as a coach, my job is to uh, teach you, um, um, you know, how you might like to run your business a little bit better. Um, I follow something called the Socratic method of leadership. So Socrates had it that the best way to help somebody is to help them figure it out for themselves. And the best way to do that is to guide them to uh, make discoveries. Uh, and the way you guide them is by asking questions that forces them or helps them think about things that they might not otherwise have been thinking about. So my job as a coach is to help you figure it out for yourself so that uh, it's your answer, not my answer. It's your answer. And as a result, you're going to own it and be much more likely to, you know, to be motivated to act on it and to make it happen. 
So, um, or to put it the other way, I'm not in the you should business. That that would be the exact opposite of of what I think uh, the role of a coach is. But when when you're coaching, it's real interesting that asking questions in order to elicit the answer, even though you don't know where the conversation is going. Um, I mean, how how do you position yourself to ask those good questions, not just questions, but good questions that that bring out, you know, where that executive is trying to go? Well, um, first of all, it, you know, requires the owner and I to agree that that's the approach that's going to work for both of us so that, you know, we're going to play nice with each other. Um, and that the owner is open to the idea of being prodded and challenged and pushed a little bit. Uh, and in fact, uh, for many owners, they actually appreciate that because in some ways they don't get it anywhere else in their, in their life to be tested and challenged and, and to, uh, you know, sort of um, offer a bit of um, a third party perspective. So first of all, it's, you got to have permission. You got, you, there's got to be an agreement in place that that's how it's going to work. Um, it starts real early, you know, even in the sales meeting in my first meeting with an owner, they're going to experience what it's like to be coached, um, at least coached in the style that I do it. And, uh, and that's why we refer to the uh, initial meeting as a complimentary coaching session. It's designed to uh, give everyone the opportunity to experience what their relationship can be like and if the relationship is, uh, could possibly work if the two parties agreed to work together. And one of the things that is so interesting these days is that everyone seems to be a coach. And, and, and this was just from, from a, a simple Google search. There's performance coaches, skills coaches, career coaching, personal or life coaching, business coaching, executive coaching, and team coaching and and again that was just the first few few in the google search so yeah how can how can so, a how can a single coach or, or can a single coach be that person in all those areas or do you need a coach for each it's both a good thing and a bad thing that just about anybody with can hang out a shingle and call themselves a coach we would as a profession do really well if we adopted uh, some of the practices that other professions do so i'm thinking about lawyers who get educated in university and then have to satisfy the professional bar uh, accountants, the same thing. They go to university and then they got to get a set of articles. Um, so we in the coaching profession don't have some kind of arm's length third party that, um, that, you know, um, confirms our capabilities. Um, there are some organizations that uh, kind of present themselves as the third party, uh, you know, uh, accreditation bodies, but uh, the truth of it is there isn't, a professional association. Now, having said that, you know, if I make a different analogy, think about all the different kinds of law there are. So you get, you know, you get, uh, you pass university, you get, um, you uh, get to be called a lawyer, and then you, you know, pass the uh, bar, and you can practice in so many different fields. There's, you know, the starting just with the distinction between being a solicitor and a barrister. Um, thinking about, you know, construction law, family law, mediation, um, contract law. There's so many different styles of lawyers or different types of lawyers, uh, which is akin to your question about why are there so many different kinds of coaches? Because there's so many different kinds of needs. Um, I don't know that any single person can be all of those types of coaches that you've described. Um uh, you know, generally we're going to be better or more equipped in one of those areas than, than in the other. When a business owner, and and I get approached 
on a regular basis. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing that someone wants to coach me in a variety of different ways. You know, how do you tell the good from the bad? I know in your in your practice, you have you have a, a complimentary session, but I right. mean, but the business owner is, you know, they, they want the benefit, but boy, they, they certainly don't want to burn the time trying to figure out whether or not this guy can, or girl can, can deliver on what they're, they claim that they can. So do you have yeah. a good way to like quickly discern whether or not they're any good? Um, well, I think the most important thing you can do is, is look for third party endorsement. So, uh, you know, go to LinkedIn. Are there people saying nice things about that person on LinkedIn? Um, how many and what is the quality of the testimonials that are on that person's uh, website, that coach's website? Um, you know, I used to give people references to the people in my website testimonials, but you don't need to do that anymore. Uh, Google's your friend. All of these people are relatively easy to find. So as my advice there would be, you know, reach out to a few of the people that might be in your industry or are saying things that relate to the kinds of things you want to talk about and see for yourself if their experience of coaching is what, you know, would serve you. So uh, uh, number one is, do they have results? Do they have testimonials? Um, Do they have some kind of accreditation? Um, As I said earlier, it isn't necessary, but it's, you know, kind of a demonstration that the person has taken some level of professional training uh, and um, uh, isn't, you know, just in sort of roll out of of a cereal box, so to speak. So I'd, I'd be looking for some form of accreditation. So there's accrediting bodies. What, I mean, what is, what is a, what does training looks like for a coach? The um, best uh, book or resource I could point you to is a thing called coactive coaching. So it's available on um, Amazon and uh, it teaches the craft of coaching. Um, and uh, which, as I've described to you, as as I think of it, is the Socratic method. Um, the truth of it is, there's lots of people that have have the training or qualifications or capabilities of uh, of doing the work, uh, the craft of coaching. Um, the harder thing for most people is how to how to market yourself, how to do a complimentary coaching session, how to sell the service of coaching. That for most most of the people on the call who are uh, about to start a coaching practice, that's the much, much more difficult of the two. Yeah, I see. For most people. Well, switching gears. So, so I've had the opportunity, and it, and it truly was a wonderful opportunity to be to be in a group coached by you. And one of the things that that I found fascinating was just how readily available and accessible information was to you. So, yeah. so I'm curious to know. You know, do you see those same behaviors in similar situations? And being a being a coach is more of a study of of human behavior uh, to reach you know the, the desired goals that, rather than strategy and tactics. How how do how do they all work together? Yeah. So you're asking uh, about three different questions, I think. So number one, um, there's a thing called Strength Finders, Clifton Strength Finders, and they they have a, a kind of list of thirty five. A typical strengths of an executive and you do a little test and it identifies what your top five uh, out of the 35 are and so um, one of the, the two of my top five uh, one is ideation and the other one is collector 
And so I, ideation is, the, is this idea that you love ideas and, and, um, and respond to and thrive on, on ideas and collection, of course, is the idea of collecting. Um, when I first got the Strength Finder, I was a bit uh, kind of confused by it or at least uncertain about it because I thought, gee, I've never collected. I, I didn't have a stamp collection or a coin collection or something. But then I realized, oh, yeah, I collect ideas. I got a ton of ideas because when I see these these things, they really stick for me and I've got an organized way of, of uh, you know, collecting them into ways that I, I can access easily, uh, you know, as, as things occur in a coaching session, which is, I think, part of what you were uh, experiencing. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would say is, although, you know, uh, we call it a complimentary coaching session, the sort of private word we'd use is a diagnostic. So when we go meet a sales uh, a business owner for the first time, we're actually going to d- diagnose their business. Uh, and from there, you know, have, stretching the metaphor here a little bit, uh, uh, provide a prognosis of what we're going to do as we go forward through time. So one of the things I've get really good feedback from many of my clients is I'm very good at diagnostic, at diagnosing just in the same way as a doctor might ask you a few questions and, you know, do a bit of a rub, you know, or a press or otherwise yeah, do right. an assessment and then come at a diagnosis of what the condition is. And and so I just happen to have that skill. And I say that because I've had that feedback from lots of people. Yeah. Well, I, and, and I agree. I mean, it, it, it really is interesting. Um, and, and again, I'm, uh, as a practitioner, it, I collect things too. I don't, I don't, on my skills, uh, uh, I, I don't believe that it, it, it was listed, but Every year, if you go to LinkedIn, I have a uh, Ed's two well 2018 noteworthy notes, and I collect quotes from mm. you know, and it and it's awesome. a lot of fun. Yeah, that's one. Yeah, the uh, the third part is you know is it more about um, the behavior? That's the same from owner to owner, uh, or is it uh, the business skills and tools and so forth? Well, uh, what I would say is the kind of um, work that I do with owners. Um, usually is around time, team, or money when it comes to the um, what I'm looking for. And so the kinds of things that an owner is usually saying around time is things like, I've got too much to do, not enough time to do it, or I can't get everything done, or if I don't do it, I won't get done. Those are very common uh, complaints. Uh, when it comes to team, nowadays with full employment, it's really hard to get really good team members to hire, recruit, uh, get the culture you want, get people doing the work at the level you need. Those are very common kinds of challenges and then around money it's two sides of money so the first of which is you know having a dashboard metrics accounting uh, kpis in place to measure results in the business and the other side of money is i need more money i need better uh, sales and marketing and so i know that that's what i'm listening for when i meet a business owner are they talking about things in those areas. And if they are, then I know I can help. And if they aren't, well, then I'm not going to be a good fit for them. So there's very specific things that I'm looking for or expecting to hear when I meet a business owner for the first time. And um, and typically then it's about putting things into place. Um, silver bullets is what we call them. Uh, you know, the, the, the most common support systems that we put into place to help a business owner come to grips with their time, team, and money. Your clients are scattered throughout the world, right? I mean, we Correct. use we use Zoom. I mean, so right. how effective? I, I guess you know. I assume my generation. I'm sitting here saying, you know, how how I, I prefer to be belly to belly, and I, I sure. guess I guess it's 
it's the same. We're just screen to screen. But I mean, how effective or do you know how effective it is to coach from afar? When I first started coaching, I, I was it was recommended to me that I do uh, phone coaching, which meant, you know, that our only contact would be over the phone after the initial meeting. Uh, personally speaking, I kind of bought into what you're describing that I prefer to meet people face to face. And so for the first 10 years of my practice, uh, that's what I did. Um, with the advent of Zoom in particular, um, it, it's such a superior platform that uh, I meet with around 24 uh, clients a week. Um, and all but two I meet uh, on Zoom. And so what I've learned is that Zoom is nearly as good as face-to-face. Uh, I, there have been cases where I've started with clients face-to-face and we've graduated to Zoom as both parties become more comfortable with it. There's only one uh, client that I have who still prefers um, uh, to meet face-to-face. And, um, you know, I, I'm okay with that. But um, what that means is they have to, you know, I have to uh, pay for my travel time. Um, you know, because there's an opportunity cost and otherwise I could be meeting with an, with another client. Well, and, and that, and that's fine, but I'll tell you, it, it was, it was really interesting. And, and so I've, you know, I've used GoToMeeting and, and Zoom for meetings, but I've never in a coaching setting. And, and mm-hmm. I, and I think that that whole Zoom skill set, your command of the platform, I, I, I think certainly did, did, did well you know, as far as being mm. able to be coached. So, sure. yeah, but boy, that was a, that was something. I was just curious. I knew that you had, you had referenced that you had clients around the world and, and uh, yeah, that's a, that's awesome. Um, What are the signs that you need a coach? I mean, I know, right. you, you know, people end up stuck in the mud and they're, you know, they're, they're spinning their wheels, but there becomes a, a point of, you know, I don't have time for this. You know, it's not, right. it's not, the check is the easy part. It's the time right. that kills me. So yeah. how do I, how do I know? Um, to have the time available to be coached or to do the work. Is that yeah. what you're yeah. saying? Yeah. For an, an effective relationship. So yeah. I'm, I'm stuck in the mud. Things aren't where they, they need to be for me. And, yeah. and I just don't know which way to go. One of the most important things that a client typically gets in the first month or six weeks of coaching is the answer or a feeling that they now have a, a light at the end of the tunnel. So, uh, and which is kind of what you've just addressed is I feel kind of stuck. I don't know which direction to go. Um, and so just getting a sense of, Oh, okay. Um, uh, getting a, a sense of direction and a light at the end and faith and hope that comes from that. That's typically an important part of what a client experiences in the early uh, stages of, of coaching. Um, I really talked to you about, you know, are you challenged in the areas of time and team and money? Um, If you're saying, uh, what should you expect from a coach? Let me offer you, these are the five things that a coach ought to be giving you. So number one is accountability for the stuff you say you're going to do. You know, no no matter how much discipline or um, willpower you have, I know and you know that you don't have enough. In fact, none of us, I don't have enough willpower either. Uh, and so, but what I do know is when you hold yourself accountable to someone else or put in systems or structure around that, that you will get more done. I have a coach as well. And that coach, as a result, gets me to do things that I might not otherwise have agreed to do and gets me to do it more often because accountability works. 
So the number one is uh, an accountability to the stuff you say you're going to do. Um, owners don't have bosses, and yet all of us would benefit uh, from having someone. Um, I wouldn't necessarily have it as a boss, but that's someone that holds us accountable. Accountable. Uh, number two is a methodology, a proven, practiced way. I didn't make this up yesterday. This has worked for lots of people. Um, and so this is a methodology that you know you can trust. And uh, the third, I would say, is efficiency because, you know, stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before you. Experience is a great teacher, but it's expensive and takes time. So, you know, why not leapfrog? Uh, and then the fourth thing is uh, behavior change. So for things to change, you have to change. And that means around your habits, behavior, and, and most importantly, what you th- your beliefs. Uh, and then finally, coaching is an investment. Uh, you know, no one's going to say that coaching was cheap. And so it's only going to make sense if you're getting a return on that investment. And that means that we're going to measure results so that uh, both of us can see that you're getting a return. With the signs, you know, and I think it's I think it's called the Auschwitz effect, where you just get used to your your surroundings, and and it it becomes normal. So, mm-hmm. I mean, can, the uh, vernacular for that is the frog in the boiling water. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. So, so when you're the frog in the boiling water, you know, and I I don't know if there's a, if there's a tripwire kind of kind of thing, and you know, I've I've worked with so many people that. If you only would have called me six months ago, a year, a year ago, right. we could have helped yeah. you. Yeah. So do you, do you see any of those? Yeah, I do. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking of a couple of examples of people who are uh, business owners. In one case, one owner told me this after we'd been working together for a while, but it was his wife who said to him in the tripwire, as you put it, was that the wife said to him, hey, look at your business as your mistress. And if mm. you don't do something about that, I will. Um, and so this guy was sleeping on the couch, you know, because he, he couldn't leave work. He, he, he was just so working 80, 90 hours a week and he knew there was a better way. He just didn't know where to turn. And so he, the tripwire or the, the motivating factor was, was that someone outside of himself pointed it out to him. Um, there, you know, you, you're, you would have to be experiencing pain at some level, discomfort, anxiety, stress, something that pushes you over and says, um, I, you know, I got to get some help to get my way out of this. Um, I, there's more than one example I'm thinking of, of, of clients whose wives said to them, you need help. Um, I can see you're stressed, you're, you're anxious, you're working 24 seven, even if you're not at the office, um, you need someone to help you. Yeah. Well, and, and again, the, the, the big thing and what I'm trying to, to convey to, to our listeners is that you know, how do, how do you know in advance before you get to that point? And, but if you get to that point now, now, now it's a crisis. And, right. and, and that's, that's what I was saying is, are there signs out there, you know, this road sign saying, you know what? And, and I think you alluded to it already as far as, you know, the lack of time and, and team and money. You know, yeah. So I'm just thinking of another example of someone I spoke to this morning who had, in fact, hasn't yet started her practice. She's a physician and uh, she knows she needs help because she doesn't know how to go about it. And so, you know, that's kind of the common thread, I guess, is that they know that things should be better, but don't know how to go about it. And um, as I often say, information is cheap. Google is, you know, you can just about (laughs) Google anything, Uh, but what's hard is execution or implementation. So 
uh, as a coach, the value I create isn't about bringing, you know, information to the table. It's really about how to organize all of that so that you can actually execute on it. Well, speaking of investment, one of the things I, I, I've always wanted to know is, have there been any studies that have calculated what the return on investment to a business owner by having a coach is? Yeah. So the only studies I've ever been able to see have more to do with executive coaching. And so the distinction there, executive coaching is typically in, you know, Fortune 1000 kinds of companies and you're doing leadership communication, those kinds of, um, you know, that kind of training. Um, I work more uh, particularly in the area of, you know, businesses that are roughly anywhere from about a million to five or six million. So, uh, you know, business coaching is a little different than that. there's a trajectory uh, in the early days. Oh, oh, let me start it a different way. Um, I guarantee to my clients that uh, I will, they will deem that coaching has been worthwhile after 17 weeks. And I'll even tell you why, dad, you define what success looks like. I won't tell you you'll, it's up to you to, to be able to say, yes, coaching has been, was worthwhile. Um, I've worked with 260 uh, clients so far in the 15 years and not one of them has ever asked me about the guarantee. Meaning after 17 weeks, if you deem that I haven't delivered on that promise, then I'll, I'll coach you for free until you, you say it's true. Now, um, part of the reason I say that is because in the early going, and it can be as much as even 17 weeks, there hasn't yet been a, 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 a an obvious financial return in other words, there isn't more profit or more sales on the bottom line, but many, many times the owner is feeling better about themselves, their lives, and their contribution, both as business owners and uh, husbands and and uh, fathers. And th- those soft values are hard to express in an ROI, but all owners that I've worked with would, would be able to say, yes, I feel better because... I see a light at the end of the tunnel. I can see how I'm going to get there. I'm available now to, to be a partner to my wife. I'm, I'm able to go to my kid's baseball game. And those, you know, have um, uh, significant value for an owner, even if it isn't, you know, as tangible as uh, a, a monetary result. Out of curiosity, why 17 weeks? What, what's, the, what's the magical about that number? Nothing much except that it's four months. <laughs> and, and that's, Got you know, it. that's typically... Sure. Uh, that's um, so one month past a quarter, one month sure. past a, a, a you know a three year cycle yeah. or a three a three month cycle. Got it. So, speaking of business value, and and this is about creating and preserving and then one day selling value. So, what are the habits that that you've seen that a business owner has that increases their business value? At the kind of you know uh, businesses that I work with. So again, these are in the range of a million or 500,000 up to five or six or 7 million. The mindset of most of the owners in that space is how can I get this done? And so they always think of themselves as everything has to be done by them. And the shift they'd have to take is to, instead of saying, how can I get this done? It's how can this get done? And so many, many, many business owners act as if they're the only air traffic controller at Chicago O'Hare Right. And you can imagine how frantic that would be if there was only one air traffic control in charge of everything that happened in the skies at O'Hare. It'd just be chaos. Right. Sometimes Um, it feels like it, though. Yeah, it does. (laughs) And so um, uh, if if there's one thing or if there's a bit of wisdom 
that I got from the e-myth, it's this. Systems run your business. People run your systems. You lead your people. So if you act on those three things, then you will at the same time be creating value, creating a business that's valuable to an acquirer. So systems run your business. People run your systems. You lead your people. Or put it another way, how can they get those French fries to taste the same, whether it's in Hong Kong, Moscow, or your hometown? Those fries are made by a 16-year-old, and the parents of that 16-year-old can't get him or her to clean their bedroom. How do they do that? They have great systems. They have policy. They have recipes. They have a procedure. So it doesn't. it isn't dependent on the person. It's dependent on executing the system. So as people come and go, the business thrives because the systems run the business. If, if it's the other way around and people run your business, as people come and go, your business falls and rises with the quality of the people you have. So systems run your business, people run your systems, you lead your people. And, and you know, that gets back to the, the hard thing for many business owners is to learn uh, how to uh, lead, communicate, delegate, and create the culture they want. Along those same lines, uh, uh, Isidore Sharp had had something similar. And, and I know the EOS uh, guys always use this, that systematize the predictable so you can humanize the exceptional. Yeah, that's uh, that's another way of systematize, systematize the routine and humanize the exception is the way that I express that idea. And yeah. it's similar. Nice. Uh, and 85 or 90 percent of what happens in a business ought to be systematized. And as a result, the owner then is only dealing with supervising the work and the 10 percent of activity that's in the exceptional category. Yeah. Instead of trying to manage 100 percent of everything that happens, you know, the back to my uh analogy of the only air traffic controller at O'Hare. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it's, it, it is a hard thing to do. I mean, it, it's hard not to, to delegate, um, at least initially. And yeah. I know everybody that's, that I plow into has the same, same thing, but once they do it, I mean, they're, I mean, they're off to the races. They, they, they feel freedom that they, they haven't felt in a long time. Yeah. That's because most business owners don't know how, what the, they don't have the skill of delegation. So on one hand, what they do is confuse delegation with abdication. So they delegate, but what they really do is abdicate and, and don't take any responsibility or, um, you know, don't do anything to ensure that it's being done at the levels they require. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a trust thing too. I, well, I, for sure. Yeah. And so there's systems there are ways that you can systematize delegation. There are, there are protocols. There are ways that you can systematize and su- or delegate in such a way that you can trust it. Yeah. Uh, but you're, you're right, Ed. The, the most common reason preventing owners is they, they feel like if they were to delegate that, you know, it, everything, the wheels would come off the wagon. Right. If you had to send a message to a business owner that you worked with 10 years ago, what would you tell that younger business owner today? That um, one of my mentors has a thing he does called thinking time. And what he does is he's got a red leather uh, couch in, or couch a chair in his office that he only uses uh, for thinking time. So he's got a two hour slot in his week. He sits down with a yellow legal pad and would write um, and have a think on a, a range of questions that he that he challenges himself with. And so one of them would be something like, um, uh, what can I and only I do in the business? 
if I could get someone to do X, how much would my business grow? So, so in other words, it's being able to um, take a look at your business from a 10,000 or 50,000 foot level as if it's a arm's length third party detached from you. So much of so many of the owners that that uh, in the space I work with um, relate to their business as if it's them, right? They they see the business and them are there. There's a blur in the identity there, and so what I would say to most business owners is see it as a third party entity that operates in a way that it operates systematically, and as a result, uh, you get to receive profits from it because uh, the, the entity, the machine, is running properly. Yeah, I think, and this this goes right into the next question, which which has to do with with legacy or lifestyle. And you know, I think some business owners enjoy the work of the work. And the business owners that you work with, it, are you seeing more lifestyle business owners or legacy or those that are trying to build legacies? Yeah. So what? Is pretty typical is, you know, an owner starts as a technician, they're doing the doing, they're, you know, they're the, um, they're the mechanic, they're the uh, machinist, they're the operator of the business, they're the medical professional, uh, and the business grows and grows and grows until they get to a point where they feel like they've lost control uh, because they're, you know, not capable of running it. Most people... Um, the thing, the, the answer to your question is you want to be in a position where you have a choice, where you can choose to have it as a legacy or a lifestyle, where you're free to have time and money freedom. So what that means is you're free to spend your time in the fashion you wish and have the money available to do that. And if that means you're expanding your business or opening a second plant or spending time on the beach, the, 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 the power lies in the fact that you get to make the choice and you have the money available to do that. Um, and you know, if if it's that you just enjoy the work so much, well, you know, God bless you. Go ahead and do that until you're 80. But at least the business is sure. not dependent on you on a day to day basis. Yeah, we alluded to this earlier as far as as far as being being a coach and the process behind it. So I so I know we we begin with a complimentary assessment. So take me the take me through the process from you know when this thing starts. You know, I, we know that there's a an assessment at the beginning, but does the coach go on forever, or when when does the coaching stop? So, can you take me through that process? Yeah. So um, sometimes the work I do with a client can be done in three or six months, and both parties feel like it's a good time to end the relationship or move on. Um, other clients I've had for and worked with steadily for five years, and so um, the average in my case is about 12 months. Um, it starts with the diagnostic. I have a platform called the five steps of freedom, you know, getting back to what we were talking about and it involves, uh, 22 silver bullets. So these are the most common strategies we use to deploy against time, team or money that help the business get to the place where, as we said earlier, it's systematized and, um, and, uh, the people are running the systems and you lead your people. So the 22 silver bullets are designed to help that person uh, do that in the business. Um, any of the relationships where that's gone beyond a couple years, typically what happens at that level is it's more about uh, coaching the person rather than the business. It's really about leadership skills, developing 
uh, delegation skills, uh, personal coaching on, you know, matters of, um, you know, that are personal and unique, whether that's at home or, or other parts of, of that person's life. But, um, it always starts on the premise of, uh, the business systems, tools, and strategies, but ultimately it leads to, uh, accountability and, um, uh, personal coaching. So I want to be sensitive to time and I've been in, I've been on the receiving end of, I've got to go now. Uh, so I, I want to be sensitive to, uh, the, our time allotment. So, um, if you had one piece of advice that you would give our listeners that would have the most immediate impact on their business, what would it be? It's not selling. It's not doing more of what you sell. It's selling more of what you do. So that's a riddle. So again, many of the business owners that are technicians get so involved in the doing what they sell that they don't pay enough or adequate attention to the selling what they do. And so they, you know, the businesses fall an invariable cycle of they get busy, they're so busy delivering, you know, widgets or whatever, or law or whatever, that they don't have enough time in their calendar to make sure the business has a robust, predictable flow of clients to support the revenue and profit plan. So have a a revenue and profit plan supported by a tactical marketing plan that helps you uh, deliver the business that, you know, the dollars you need to, to run your business. So it's not uh, doing more of what you sell. It's selling more of what you do. So what's the best way that uh, our listeners can connect with you? Uh, Well, I'm available on social LinkedIn, uh, Facebook and Twitter, W5 coaching on Twitter. Um, my website, w5coaching.com or, uh, by email, John at w5coaching.com. Okay. Well, John, you know what? Truly, thank you so much for, for being so generous with your, your time and experiences to help our listeners maximize their value. And I'll have everything that we talked about in the show notes, anything that's uh, linkable. I'll do that also. So John, thank you so much for being a defender of business value. <laughs> it's a, a pleasure, uh, and it truly is a pleasure. I, I think I mentioned that I'm hardwired to be a teacher, so that means I'm hardwired to want to pass along some of the lessons that I've picked up over time. Well, awesome. Well, thanks again, and cheers. My pleasure. Thanks. Uh, cheers to you. Thank you for joining the Defenders of Business Value podcast. If you're preparing your business for sale, visit LegacyTransitionAdvisors.com or text EXIT to 35893 to begin your journey to maximum saleable value. If you want more episodes packed with strategies to transfer maximum value in your business, visit DefendersOfBusinessValue.com. Better yet, subscribe now so you don't miss the future episodes. This program is copyright Legacy Transition Advisors, LLC. All rights reserved.